Um, my name is Jack, and the coolest thing that I learned about the brain is how um, neurons can send messages to other neurons. The coolest thing that I learned about the brain is how the nerves can talk to each other by leaping through chemical little waves, I guess I could say. They leap from one to the other because they're not all connected. They're all apart from each other. So they have to have some special way to talk to each other. I thought that was the coolest thing. Hello, my name is Isaac Bourne, and the coolest thing I learned about the brain was the many parts of the brain and how to study it. There's neuroimaging, post-mortem, electrophysiology, which is by far my favorite, because I actually, I never knew that they had electricity in them, the cells did, so that was pretty neat. My name is Natalie, and the neurons look like spider webs. Thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. I'm Claire Navarro. And to continue our series on the human brain, today I have the chance to sit down with Claire Weixlebaum and Brian Lanana. Claire and Brian are doctoral students in neuroscience, and they are also co-founders and co-directors of a program called Brain Discovery, which I'm really excited to learn more about. So welcome, and what is Brain Discovery? Thank you for having us. Yeah, so Brain Discovery is an outreach program targeted at third through sixth grade students that has a six-week model where a scientist is paired with a classroom and visits once a week for six weeks. And so the students kind of get to know their scientist buddy and uh, scientist leads them through a number of different activities and experiments every week. And the, the students really get to see what it's like to be a scientist. So you are both scientists, you're doctoral students, you're very busy people, I'm sure. What made you want to start a program like this? So I think actually we, we came to the same epiphany separately. We, we were both at an outreach meeting uh, during orientation when we first got to WashU, and they, they talked all about the different outreach efforts that they have here and, and covered some of the neuroscience outreach that they do. And, and I don't know if it was me or Claire, but one of us raised our hand and said, well, what, what do you guys do specifically for elementary schools? And they said, well we kind of go to the elementary schools, but we don't have anything specifically designed for elementary schools. So we, we both, I think, independently ruminated that thought. And we went to, we actually were, were hanging out later at the, at the park a couple days later. And I, I came up to Claire and I said, hey, uh, I know you've had some experience with outreach, with elementary outreach before. I, I was thinking about maybe starting an outreach program. And she said, I was thinking the same thing. This is, this sounds like a really cool thing. So we took that inspiration, the mutual inspiration, and, and some of the lesson plans from her old outreach experiences and got started. There, there were a couple defining features of our program that we, we really wanted to implement. One being the, the age group that we really wanted to target younger kids. There are a lot of programs for high schoolers and even increasingly for middle schoolers, but there's not a lot for elementary science outreach. And it's interesting because there's research that shows kind of late elementary, early middle school is really a critical window for maintaining student engagement in science, that that's the time in which uh, a lot of students kind of start to feel, oh, I'm not a science person, I'm not good at this, you know, this isn't for me. And so we feel like it's really important to kind of grab students' interest and, and carry them through that period, keep their engagement in science 
going uh, into middle school. So the age group is part of it. And the other thing, as I mentioned, um, this longer time period. So rather than a single interaction, having this six-week repeated interaction with the students really is, is just a different uh, experience for them. It gives them kind of a, a chance to connect with the scientist visitors. So it's not just, oh, this is cool, but more, oh, this is this person is doing really cool research, and I could do research like that person. I could be like that person. So it's a it's a chance to introduce mentorship as well as awe them with uh, cool things about science and experiments. Yeah, and that that scientists aren't just you know some guy in a lab coat somewhere, but that scientists are diverse, interesting human beings, and you know that this is something any of them could achieve too if, if they decide they want to do that. So thinking back to elementary school science, I'm remembering like a butterfly coming out of a cocoon or I don't know, it's probably not neuroscience. Um, what sort of things do you teach them and what sort of things can younger students learn about the brain that they find interesting? So you'd be surprised what uh, younger kids can actually pick up. And, and that was one of the things that we, we talked about and one of the differences between us and maybe some other programs that, that uh, we'll do one-time demos is that we, we really try to make things inquiry-based. So the students are helping to design the experiments. They're coming up with some of the protocols. They're coming up with their hypotheses. And I mean, these are these are sometimes third and fourth graders that are doing this. And you'd be surprised what you can get them to do it. Do you want to talk about one of the specific experiments? Yeah, well, I, I was first just going to address, you know, you raise a great point that neuroscience is not typically taught in elementary or middle or even high school. You know, it's not part of any educational standards directly. And so at, at first, you know, we had a lot of people concerned, well, will you even get teachers interested in having you come to a classroom to talk to kids about neuroscience if this isn't in any educational standards? But, you know, I think neuroscience is a really great gateway science. It's something that, you know, everybody has a brain. We're all kind of inherently curious about, well, how is it that we can perceive the world and walk and talk and think and do all these things? And so that's kind of a natural hook to engage kids in science. And, you know, as Brian said, you're, it's really surprising if you tap into that engagement from the kids, just how much they can learn um, and, and how deep they can go into the subject. So at the end of six weeks, we have kids talking about neurotransmission, you know, what happens at the synapse, how neurotransmitters bind to the receptor, even inhibitory versus excitatory transmission, naming a bunch of different parts of the brain and what they do and, uh, you know, mapping the, the path of a signal from... You know, if you touch something, that signals going through sensory nerves in your arm, up your spinal cord to your sensory cortex, and then your motor cortex is going to send a signal back down motor nerves to, you know, to your muscles. And, you know, we, we have little, little kids who can explain this when you put it in the context of throwing and catching a ball or, uh, you know, this is, this is what you're doing right now when you're sitting and listening to me talk. So I think tapping into that engagement and then, as, as Brian also said, really the, the hands-on aspect that these young kids learn by doing. And you can't just get up and lecture for an hour the way maybe you could, not, not that you should, but maybe you could with college students or even high school students. So what sort of hands-on activities do you do? So every week the scientist visitor inspires the students with a big question in neuroscience. So the first week it's simply, what does your brain do? And we talk about a lot of kids come in thinking, oh, your brain is just for thinking or for your memories and don't realize that it controls really pretty much everything you do. And then we progress to what is the brain made of and talk about what's going on at the cellular level with neurons and talk about how neurons communicate with each other and, and all those sorts of things. So 
Every week we explore that question with a hands-on activity, usually an experiment of some sort, where the students really get to practice the whole scientific method. Um, we really try to get the students learning science as it's actually practiced, not just as a static body of facts that you would learn from a textbook, but real scientists discover things by developing a question and a hypothesis and performing an experiment. So one, one such uh, experiment stems from the, the question, how do neurons communicate? And so we, we try to get the, the kids to discover this through experimentation. So we have what we use is uh, what's called an EMG or an electromyogram. And they're, they're taking a couple of electrodes and they're putting them on their arm and on their bicep. And then they, they decide ahead of time what they think is going to happen if they lift different amounts of weight. So they, they already understand that your neurons are firing to tell your muscles to move. And so they have to uh, logically deduce that that would mean that if you need more muscle, then you probably need more neurons firing and you're going to get you're going to hear more firing through this EMG. So they're, they're going through the entire process from um, we give them the kind of the question and then they say, all right, well, if we're going to do this, if we're going to use this technique to answer the question, what would our hypothesis be collecting data and making their conclusion? which is I mean, what we do every day in the lab. That's amazing. It sounds like so much fun, and they're learning a lot. Has there been any moment in the classroom that you've just really loved? Well, one of my favorite activities that we do with them is actually on the very last day. You know, they've, they've learned all sorts of things about the brain, and they've conducted all these experiments. And then for the last day, our big question is, what's it really like to be a neuroscientist? And we kind of talk about what we do in our jobs and um, the future of neuroscience, all these you know amazing cutting-edge discoveries. And then we turn it over to them and say, if you were a neuroscientist, what would you want to study? What would you, what kinds of experiments would you design? What would you want to do? And we give them a blank piece of paper that says, if you were a neuroscientist, what would you study? And give them some time to just kind of brainstorm and be creative. And looking over some of those sheets is just amazing. I mean, we have students coming up with, uh, you know, neuroimaging studies where they want to see what parts of the brain are active when you're playing computer games. We have students coming up with, you know, ideas for prosthetic devices. What if someone's arm gets cut off? You know, is there still electrical signaling going on in those nerves? All, all kinds of interesting, creative ideas that not only show how much they've learned about, about neuroscience, but that they're really starting to think like scientists. So you asked your students what big question they wanted to know about the brain or about neuroscience. I'm going to turn that question back on you. What, what questions are you investigating now or do you want to find out about the brain? I'm really interested in how the brain ages and what effects that has on the rest of the body. So, I mean, you, I don't know if your listeners or you may or may not know, but a lot of aging happens when cells divide and that, that results in, in damage to these cells. Well, as you may know, most of your neurons and a lot of your brain cells don't divide very often, but your brain still ages and there's still consequences to you getting older. Many of the age-related diseases such as Alzheimer's or other kinds of dementia are age-related. That's the number one risk factor for these kind of diseases. So there has to be something unique about brain aging that's different from the rest of the body. And neuroinflammation may be one of those cumulative factors that plays into this, and that's what I'm investigating now. So I'm interested in social behavior and how social interactions are inherently rewarding to our brains. So we usually think of reward in terms of you know, food or drugs, addiction, things like that. But there's increasing evidence that social 
reward actually uses those same pathways as other types of rewards. And I'm really interested in how that works and how dysfunctions in those circuits might contribute to differences in, in social processing, such as autism and other developmental disorders. That all sounds fascinating. I kind of want to do full podcasts on both those topics now, so look to your email. <laughs> um, so I guess uh, to wrap up, let's say someone's listening, they really want to get involved, maybe they want to volunteer, maybe they have a kid who they really want to have you visit their school, um, what should they do? Absolutely. So we have a website. It's braindiscovery.wustl.edu. That's braindiscovery.wustl.edu. Um, and on the website, if you're a teacher, you can request us to visit your classroom. If you're a parent or a kid listening who wants to get into neuroscience, you can definitely let your teacher know. We'd be happy to come to your school if you're in the St. Louis area. We also have recently started a homeschool program because some homeschool parents uh, approached us and said, hey, you know, there's really a need for more science outreach programs for us too. Um, so if you're a homeschool family, we also have a program for you where kids can come to campus and learn the, the same curriculum that we use in outreach to the schools. And if you're a volunteer, we, we have a Gmail address, uh, braindiscoveryprogram at gmail.com. So email us and we can... We'd talk. love for you to get involved. Yeah. Any graduate students, postdocs, PIs, if you got the time. Lab techs. Yeah, lab techs. <laughs> um, pretty much anyone who's a working scientist, because we, we really feel like you know, as, as scientists, we have an important role to play in science education. You know, it's, we're role models and ambassadors for what doing science is really all about in a way that you can't really fully capture just as a science teacher in a classroom. And so we're really excited to be able to bring that into schools and, and show that to kids. And we're not, uh, just uh, one last point, to be clear, we're not teaching every, every kid to be a scientist. Not every kid is going to be a scientist, but I feel like every kid should appreciate science and should understand the role that science plays in their life and what their life could be, the potential of their life. Basic science literacy, super important for everybody, regardless of whether you decide to grow up to be a scientist. Well, congratulations on the success of the program so far, and thanks for talking to us. Thank you very much. Sure, thank you. So for more podcasts on the human brain and on the outreach efforts going on at Washington University, be sure to check out our website. We're at holdthatthought.wustl.edu. You can find Hold That Thought on Facebook and Twitter or subscribe to our weekly podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or PRX. Thanks for listening.